welcome back to Crimes from the East. We have with us our VIP guest on board, Caitlin. Hey, Katie. Hello. So thanks I never for- asked you this. Do you prefer? Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say thanks for having me back. Are you about to ask if I prefer Katie or Caitlin? Yes. I So I prefer Katie. Fun fact. Uh, I went by Katie my whole life. And then in college... I joined APO, which is Alpha Phi Omega. It's a co-ed community service fraternity. Mm -hmm. There were four Katie's in my pledge class. So the pledge class educator was like, okay, but like, what's your real name? Well, I mean, technically my given name is Caitlin. And he went, all right, you're Caitlin now. And I was like, what? So then every Katie after me was like, Katie, even though it's not, there was a Catherine, there was a Kimberly, but no, they all were like, Katie. So then everyone else got to stay Katie and everyone in college called me Caitlin. So what were they like, Katie, one, two, three, or (laughs) how did this Yeah, it was like everyone just got like Katie nicknames. Well, you are special, huh? It (laughs) impacted the rest of my life to the point where like my husband, when he met my family for the first time, they were all like, oh yeah, Katie. And he's like, who's Katie? And I'm like, I am Katie. (laughs) So now he calls me Katie again. Like it's a whole thing. All right. So it's come full circle. Yeah, so I prefer Katie, but professionally, it kind of just went back to Go Caitlin. by Caitlin. It's very hard. I live two lives. Oh, and by the way, everyone, it's Caitlin's or Katie's birthday today. So a round of applause. Yay! Happy birthday. Thank you. Fun fact about my birthday. I mm-hmm. also share a birthday with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, my God. Happy birthday, Arnie. Yes. And it's National Cheesecake Day. Get to the cake. <laughs> I love Arnold so much. Do you not see my giant poster of Arnold yes, behind me? I do. I do. I'm trying not to stare at him. I want you to commit to get fit. That's what it says. I commit. I totally commit, Arnold. Good. Thank you. Everyone should commit to get fit. Oh, yeah. So we were talking about that earlier before we hit record. And you work adjacent to the fitness industry, right? You want to talk a little bit about that? Because I think it was really important. We need to get this on air. Yeah, well, go thank ahead. thank you. I do. I work for the uh, Global Health and Fitness Association. So we work with health clubs and uh, people really interested in fitness to spread the message that exercise is important and it can do a lot of great things. And right now, I specifically work with a lot of like government relations people trying to get relief for the fitness industry because something upwards of 27 to 28% of the American fitness industry has permanently closed. That sucks. Like millions of fitness professionals have been put out of work permanently and they need help. So where like theaters and stages and restaurants all got specific relief packages, Mm -hmm. the fitness industry has been kind of left out. So that's what we're working on. That's so ironic. Like, if if you want a country to get fitter, you want people to be more healthy, the first thing you would support and give relief packages to should be the fitness establishments, right? Yeah. Like, you restaurants, okay. Now, I'm not against restaurants. I eat out on weekends. Oh, I, but love, I love restaurants. Yes, yeah. but... Now, don't get me wrong. Restaurants need relief. Restaurants yes. need help. Like, yeah. businesses everywhere need help. Mm-hmm. But restaurants could switch to delivery. Restaurants could do pickup. Restaurants mm. could do like you order online, you come get exactly. it. Like so could stores, you could do deliver like all of that. Gyms didn't have that option. And gyms were expected to put all of their services online for free. 
So for like, free. and a lot did, a lot voluntarily did. They were like, we're going to do online classes. We're going to try mm. and really stay engaged with our community because we really care about that. Like the majority of people in the fitness industry really care about their communities. That's right. They wanted to, but then, you know, rent is due and they can't pay it or your utilities are due. They can't pay it. Like it is still a business. You have things. to make a living. Yeah. So, you know, they should have received some kind of relief package. I'm I'm shocked. I didn't know that. So, so yeah. So we're trying to pass something called the Gyms Act, which is relief for the fitness industry. Right. People out there are vaccinated. You live in a an area where the numbers are fairly low. Everyone's you know being safe. If you're going out to eat at restaurants, you might as well start going to your gyms again. Those environments are probably a lot cleaner than a restaurant because everyone's spraying and wiping everything down like a million times. Oh, so much. And everyone's talking about the ventilation systems. Like mm-hmm. gyms had pretty awesome ventilation systems even before the pandemic. So like go to the gym, guys. Commit to get fit. Commit to get fit. Yep. Let's talk about serial killers. Not very good for health. Ugh. No, but remember in the very first episode, I was like, good on that one. Good on the stone man for staying fit. Like, look at him keeping up with his exercise. Like, right. Like not every 60 year old could lift a 60 pound stone. So he must have really been ripped. Right. (laughs) Yeah. All right. You curious about what we're talking about today? I'm very curious about what we're talking about. Start my day off with murder. That's what's happening. And it's not just murder. It is a very intriguing case. I know that for the people listening in audio, I know you guys can't see my giant poster of Arnold next to me. And in the background, guess what you can see? Is it the predator? What is it? Because I'm so professional, guys. In the background, you can see the A to Z encyclopedia of serial killers. (laughs) Which is just on my shelf because it's such an interesting book. It is a health issue because once you're murdered, it's not really good for your health. That's not very healthy. (laughs) So So yeah, it's a fascinating thing. You're just being proactive. Well, I also have the worst case scenario survival handbook that's also on there. So I'm ready. You are so ready. Let's do it. Yeah. So today's story has elements of suspense and drama and deception and just an air of mystery all around it. The Return of the Prince of Powell. We are heading back into the early 1900s today. And once again, as we always kind of seem to find ourselves, in the general region of Bengal in the east of India. And since this is the early 1900s, this area used to be India, but now is current day Bangladesh. All right, let me tell you about the curious case of the legendary Prince of Bawal. The Bawal Estate, as as it was called, lies 20 miles north of Dhaka, British India, of course, because we had colonial overlords at that time. What? Uh, Question, yeah. were there multiple kingdoms within India during the early 1900s? Or was he the prince of all of India? Oh, no, 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 no. So, yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But... He was a zamindar, and zamindars were feudal lords of a certain area. They were autonomous rulers of huge tracts of land, basically. And the way that they generated revenue was it was an agrarian culture. And so tenants would pay the zamindar 
to be able to cultivate the land and harvest and sell whatever they harvest. So the zamindar owned the land and whoever made money off of the land had to pay him some kind of a tax or rental. For the record, zamindar is like a fantastic name. <laughs> zamindar. Like all the Gen X, like millennial people who want their kids to have cool names. Zamindar. <laughs> zamindar. It's going to be the new one. What is that? Brayden and Brooklyn and... Zamindar. No, no. We need Zamindars. So we had Mughal invaders before the colonial ones. Their language, Urdu, kind of spread all over North India. So Zamindar was the Urdu word and Bhumipati was the Hindi word. But yeah, it sounds pretty cool. Zamindar. I'm a Zamindar. Noted. So they collected tax from the peasants and they generally took care of arbitrary matters like any ruler would. They had enforcers to keep people in check and take care of law and order in their regions. When the British came over, our colonial white devils, as I've called them three times before, and I just wanted to clarify, I don't mean white people. I mean, if you were a Brit who in the 1800s came over to India through the East India Company. One, how are you still alive? Like, again, must be real fit. They work out. And we're part of that whole invasion scenario, then I'm talking to you. Otherwise, no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not racist, guys. So when the Brits came over to colonize and exploit the country, they realized that the enormous wealth in this zamindari setup was just waiting for them to sink their teeth into. And so they established a formal zamindari system with rules and consequences. So they were existing before the colonial folks came over. They had their own system. But the Brits came down and they made special rules around inheritance and what would happen if there was no legal heir. It would go to them. Mm. They would manage it. Of course. How convenient. Because you peasants. Oh, my gosh. You peasants can't manage land. No. No. We got you. You've been doing it for... Hundreds and hundreds no. of years. Yeah. Let us show you how to do this. Yeah. The Zamindars, they weren't kings as such, but they were given royal titles to appease their sensibilities, of course. And they were often mm. called Raja or Maharaja, which means king. And that is why our story refers to this guy as the prince of Bhawal, although he wasn't an actual prince. You know, the other well-established monarchies. So he's more like, you know, a lord. Colin Firth and Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, like a yeah, lord. Like a lord. Got it, yeah, got it. Got kind it. of like a lord. For you younger folk, the guy in... What was that really racy show? It was the Netflix one. It, oh, uh, oh, oh, it's good. It is actually good. Church? Bridgerton. No, Bridgerton. Bridgerton. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bridgerton. Let's just, let's just recut that. For you younger folks, it's the lord from Bridgerton. The lord from Bridgerton. It is actually pretty good. It's a pretty good show. It sucks you in very fast. It does? It does. Okay. I'm going to try. I'm going to try watching it. I fully expected to watch it just to make fun of it. And then I was like, <laughs> damn it, I'm in. Like, I am so in. Yeah. So even though this guy wasn't an actual prince, he was a titled zamindar, but he was pretty affluent and very wealthy. So Bengal was one of the wealthiest regions in North India at the time. And so zamindars were the ones who had all the money. They had more money than some of the monarchies in the area. I mean, if you're rich enough, you're essentially a prince, so it's what it is. The Bhaval estate ranged over 600 square miles or roughly 1,500 square kilometers and included large parts of Dhaka City. City of Dhaka had a Nawab or the actual monarchy, and this guy had more land and more money than the Nawab at certain points in time. 
1901, the zamindar of the Bhaval estate, Rajendra Narayan Roy Chaudhary. Oof, that's a hell of that's a, a name. name. Yeah, yeah, that's one guy. That wasn't two guys. That's, that's one. That's one guy. And the funny part is, three of those names aren't even his actual familial names. They're just titles. Rajendra was his name. Oh my god. Narayan Roy Chaudhary are just honorary titles to show that he's the you know ruling class or whatever. His actual oh familial name is Bhaval, which is the name of the estate. This guy was one of the last great zamindars of that region. Unfortunately, he died in 1901, leaving three sons and three daughters as heirs to his land-holding claim. Their familial mansion was located in Jaydebpur, near Dhaka, now Bangladesh. The entire family lived there. Three sons, the three daughters, and as they grew up, their spouses and their children, everyone lived in one home. That's nice. Yeah, huge, huge mansion. To give you an idea of how affluent uh, these zamindars were, the Bhavals, in 1904, the estate paid the British Empire 83,000 rupees as revenue tax, and they declared an annual rental income of around 4.6 lakhs rupees. Now, that's roughly $6,500 in 1904 money. Okay, wait. So in 1904, they made $6,400. Yes. In 1904. Yes. What is that in today's money? So in today's money, and this is what Google tells me, so I don't know how accurate it is. It's around $3 million. They made $3 million a month. A, a year. Oh, a year. Okay. A year. I mean, oh, okay. If it's a year. Yeah. Oh, and this oh. isn't one of their best years. Some years they made twice as much. So oh anywhere gosh. from three to $5 million. Just because they own the land. They, they're not actively oh, going out and like cultivating the, the world. A lot of the records say that they were helping their citizens out, the subjects out. It's not like they were sitting on their butts the whole time. Eating bonbons. They did have a local government who oversaw the goings on in their, I don't know what to call it, kingdom of sorts. <laughs> so they did whatever small task they could do. Not $3 million worth. $3 million coming in every year. Why not? And of course, this is cumulative wealth because they're not putting $3 million into anything. They're just It's just going into their bank accounts. So this family is super rich. Mm -hmm. They're considered like... Royalty, essentially. Yeah. Which son is it? Is it is it one of the sons? The one we talked about earlier, Rajendra Narayan Roy Chaudhary. He was the last great Bhaval Zamindar. His sons, mm, not so great. But was this simply their nature or was there a shady hand at play, carefully sowing the seeds of toxic vices into their lives? <gasps> Like a Jafar? Did we have a Jafar there? Oh, we don't know. We can speculate about that. Keep this in mind as the story goes along. How is it that for so many hundreds of years, the family did absolutely wonderfully? And then all of a sudden, all these sons turn out to be losers. So the bubble children, they had grown up with all the luxuries and amenities of modern life. Not just Indian modern life, but also everything you could possibly think of in the Western modern life. Because they're rich. They have access to all kinds of tutors and trainers and teachers who would come over and try to teach these kids English. Kind of like a finishing school right at home to teach them how to behave with the Britishers and when they travel abroad. But these kids didn't seem to really care. 
The princes of Bhaval grew notoriously reckless, ignoring education and propriety, and they embraced all kinds of vices made available to them. This led to the systemic destruction of their lives at a very young age. So once the father dies, the legal state of the Bhaval the estate was in limbo for quite a while because remember how I told you the British would take over if there was no one to keep things in check? Yeah. The department was called the Court of Wards. You know, like how you're a ward of the state? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Court of Wards would step in and take charge of the estate and manage it in lieu of a zamindar. Yeah, but that was if you didn't have offspring. He had offspring. They were all minors at that time. And so that's why they stepped in. Oh, okay. That was uh, these youths. Yeah, okay. And so they would take care of all the revenue collection and then give out a fixed stipend to all the legal heirs till they became adults. I mean, maybe these kids needed like an allowance if they weren't doing productive things. Tell me. In 1904, when, does it uh, when the court of wards took it over, the queen, the widowed queen, Bilas Mani Rani. Oh, shit. I assumed that their mom had died. This was like a Batman Marvel superhero origin story situation. Like, I'm sorry. Why couldn't the mom be? The women didn't take over. I mean, come on. What did you expect? Oh, my gosh. 1900s <sighs> India. That's true. Our ovaries do prevent us from making leadership decisions. That's just fact. But the British were under a matriarch. They had a queen during that time. How ironic. That's so weird. Hypocrisy much? Oh my God. Right? Ugh, that's the worst thing those British people did. Like, ugh. No, okay, obviously they did way worse things. There's a lot of bad things that went down during that time in India because the British. The wife of the late Zamindar, Rani Bilasmani, she fought tooth and nail for their rights, and she made sure that the estate was issued back into the family. You know, the whole time that she did fight, at that point, I guess, Ranindra turned 21, the middle son. I mean, there was an elder son, but somehow she picked um, her middle son to be the legal head of the family. And so the control came back into the family in around 1905. The middle prince, Ramendra Roy, was quite boisterous and he indulged in the company of multiple women. He was into hunting and sports and socializing and living it up, basically. Get it. Why wouldn't you? Just, you know, generally improving morale. I get it. Good for you. The people of Bubble loved him. He was known to give away money and expensive See? possessions to anyone who needed it. Like, he wasn't stingy. That's so Nice. Good for this guy. He's like Baloo, isn't he? He's like, here, you want a banana? <laughs> Get it. I like you guys. We go hunting. We have some fun. Yeah, I'll give you these expensive items and money. You need it. You deserve it. I like him. I'm on board. There's a tale where he challenged the Nawab of uh, Dhaka to a race, a horse cart race. They went to like this huge race course in Dhaka. And there were thousands of people watching this event. And it was a friendly match, of course. And they had the whole race. And, and he won. See, he just sounds fun. All right. People's favorite. People loved him. Everyone loved him. He was married off at a young age. I mean, I guess it wasn't really young. I mean, not for that time. 
I think before that, yeah. they used to get married when they were 12, so... <laughs> oh, what is with, like, the... I guess they were, like, the lifespans were shorter. Not just that, but it was more... It was all arranged, right? It was a family arrangement. Like, our family will entangle with your family, so, you know, let's get our kids married. Why wait? Get them married at 12. That's so lame. So, he got married young to... <laughs> Her name is so hard to say. It's a Bengali name, and I know I'm going to totally ruin it. Bibhabati Devi. I'm sure it's more like Bibhabati or something, but <laughs> yeah, just call her the wife. I won't even try. Her brother, Satyendranath Banerjee, would often live with them as well, and he was thought to be a very controlling individual. When she got married, she was probably 16 at that time, you know, young and naive. And so the elder brother was controlling her decisions and he seemed to have his eye on the estate and whatever. He seems a little, like a little shady character at this time. I don't trust him. I should make popcorn. So I have popcorn for this story. Like, yes, okay. You need popcorn for sure. There was also a family doctor called Ashutosh Dasgupta who Satyendra Banerjee had introduced to the family. All right. So we have a mom. We have a doctor. We have three sons, three daughters, a wife and the wife's brother. To the drama. I'm ready. In 1909, Ramendra Narayan is 25 years old and he has philandered his way with countless affairs and trysts in the recent years. He suddenly finds himself in a mess, okay? His health is declining rapidly. Syphilis. He has suffered from many ailments and he has been going to Calcutta with his brother-in-law to seek treatments but no one knows what's going on exactly he just keeps getting sicker and sicker and sicker and allegedly as per the doctor family doctor Ramendra Narayan now seemed to have open sores on his body and was suspected to suffer from syphilis so you were right yes oh it's always syphilis were you banging lots of people back in the 1800s? Syphilis. Yeah, always going to be always syphilis. syphilis. Go ahead. So Sorry. his brother-in-law suggested that he kind of take a trip to the cool, crisp hill station, like the mountain retreat in Darjeeling. He needs a spa day. Yeah. That'll cure syphilis. <laughs> yeah, or at least hide it from the public. I guess that was more Great. important. Who gave my man syphilis? I'm like, that's what I'm really angry about. Like, he seemed like a good dude. I'm, ugh, I'm bummed. I wish they had like better protection options at that time. Not that not that someone right? like this would use it anyway, but Yeah, probably not. I mentioned they go to Darjeeling. It is such a beautiful place, Darjeeling. Man, I wish I could go. My grandparents visited it like back in the day and they had pictures. It was such a pretty area. It's, there are lots of uh, tea estates up in the mountains, and so it's beautiful. The clouds are always flying low. Add it to the yeah. bucket list. When travel reopens, yeah. The brother-in-law, Satyendra, he, he even did a recce trip. So he went to Darjeeling. He found this house where they could live. And then he comes back. He's joined by Ramendra, Bibabhati, and Dr. Dasgupta, along with, of course, a dozen or so attendants to take care of everything. You got to have the servants. Oh, yeah. Pfft, I'm not doing it. Yeah. yeah, he's not picking up his own bags. I've got syphilis. Because he was already kind of sick, Ramindra was kind of sick, so telegrams were sent multiple times a day back to their home, informing the Bhaval family about the Mejo Kumar. So Mejo is a Bengali word for middle, so middle brother or middle prince. Everyone lovingly called him Mejo Kumar, middle prince. Aww. He seemed to be fine for the first few days, but all of a sudden a telegram comes in saying that the Kumar was violently ill 
He was coughing up blood and he had terrible, bloody, loose motion. Okay, so he was just sick as a dog. I'm sorry, hold on. Is loose motion your way of saying like his poops were bloody? Bloody poop. Okay. You're a mom. (laughs) Come on. You can say poop. You can say poop on air. There's no like FCC going to like charge you I know. You for it. I, th- I was just afraid I would say poopies because I have a toddler. <laughs> His poopies were bloody. That's what happened. Don't get syphilis. Use protection. It's my PSA. This was alarming for the family to hear. It's also weird they would put that in a telegram. Like who puts that in a telegram? Just so you know. Like, like one day he's all fine. I'm not texting people. Here's the update on my stool. Like, no, like, oh, my gosh. I think when you're important enough, all those aspects of your life are observed and dissected and recorded by people. Um, The presidents and the queen and everything, like wherever there are queens and kings, their poops are checked every single day to gauge their health. Oh, my gosh. I Uh would hate that. Oh, maybe their toilets are like connected to a tap in the lab. I hate that so much. I could have gone my whole life not knowing that. You can thank me. Tell me about how these like serial killers and stuff. (laughs) Don't tell me about presidents poops. I don't want to know. (laughs) Tidbits. Too far. You've gone too far this time. Oh, (laughs) no, I've crossed the line. My delicate sensibilities. (laughs) Blood is fine. Poop is not. Okay. So like I said, it was quite alarming for the family to hear about all this. And so the younger brother, uh, Kumar Rabindra, he prepares to leave for Darjeeling at once. But just before he was boarding the train, another telegram comes in, which announces that Ramendra Narayan Roy, the middle prince of Bhawal, had suddenly died sometime on 8th of May. He died mysteriously, but not because it was syphilis. What was it noted as? What they the official say? cause of death was noted as related to gallbladder stones. <laughs> now, the Kumar's retinue, along with the now widowed 19-year-old Bibhabhati, had the Kumar's body taken to a cremation ground in Darjeeling so that he may receive the proper Hindu final rites. And his pyre would be lit to burn till there was nothing left okay. but ashes. That's the Hindu way of cremating oh. a deceased person. A couple days later, they headed back to Bhawal and the family mourned this tragic event in a rather subdued manner because, I mean, the middle prince is dead. The legal head of the family is dead. And it it was from syphilis, something like you don't want to publicly make a big deal about. So it was kind of a low key. But you're going to put it in a telegram. They didn't like syphilis. So like, oh, we don't want to say he died from a... Oh, yeah, they just wrote bloody poops. That's fine. That's fine. Oh, my gosh. The people and the tenants of the estate mourned the loss of their jolly prince, who had always shown them affection and merry times. The remaining princes, the elder and the younger one, also died within the next couple of years. Since none of the princes had any children, the grand old estate of Bubble, one of the wealthiest in the region, again, fell under the control of the court of wards. They would administer the estate on behalf of the three widows, the wives of the three brothers, and give them a stipend, a fixed stipend, and collect the whole revenue. What about the sisters? Do they get any stipend? Um, They probably did. They probably did. 
Yeah. It may not have been as much as the widows of the princes, but I'm sure they got something from the estate. That's ridiculous. I disapprove of how the Brits handled this system in the 1800s. Like, And one of the queens, the younger queen, she didn't have a child, but she found a loophole. She was able to adopt a little boy. Now he was a legal heir and she fought to get him reinstated as like the next zamindar of the Bhola estate. I believe the court of wards couldn't officially deny it. So they let him be the nominal head on paper, although they continued to administer the estate. At least to show face, they had some guy on the throne. Unfortunately, he was five years old. So (laughs) not that he had much power to do anything. Our prince here, his wife, she collected 30,000 rupees from the life insurance policy of the Kumar, as you would. And she took a portion of her inheritance from the estate. So like in a lump sum, whatever her portion was. Using that, her brother purchased a lavish home for them in Calcutta, in a very posh locality called Lansdowne Road. And this is now known as Sharat Chandra Bose Road, which is a very, it's got all the big malls and the fancy stores and everything. So, you know, it's one of those, um, what do you call it? Yeah, it's like the shopping districts, like the... Alex would have been able to pronounce that. <laughs> They're like Paris Frenchness. Yeah, fancy fufu area. La, 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 la. Yeah. Biba Boti moved away. She moved to Calcutta, lived with her brother, and she didn't return to Jaidepur again. So she was like, I'm done. This guy's dead. I'm out of here. That's not normal. So under normal circumstances in a Hindu family, she would have lived with the family. Like all the three widows would have lived together you know, in a home. So she is like, I'm done. I'm out of here. See ya. She was just 19. I mean, her husband was cheating on her. She was 19. He did die of like syphilis, which he didn't get from her if she didn't have it. So she would get a stipend of 1100 rupees every month from the court of wards. That's roughly $100 in 1909 money. Okay, 100 bucks a month in 1909. Mm -hmm. I bet that was a lot of money. What's it today? Oh, I didn't calculate that. I got you. I'm on it. $100 in 1900. How much is that today? Would be... It's $2,985 today. Whoa. So she's getting like three grand a month doing nothing, which is pretty cool. Good for her. That's insane. And she lives in India, remember. $3,000 a month in India today would make you a rich person. I mean, okay, not like super rich, but... You don't need a job. You'd be one of those people that can say, I do fine. When people ask you how much money you make or if like you're rich and you respond with like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. (laughs) I do fine. Okay, so 11 years pass with ease. Nothing great happens. But in the spring of 1920, an ash-covered sadhu. So you know what a sadhu is? A sadhu, a sage, a hermit. No. A hermit, okay. A Hindu sage, so ascetic. Let me send you a picture. No, hermit. Hermit is a word. Yeah, but this is more, like, it's, it has more religious connotations. It's not just some mm. guy who goes out. In like a monk? Woods. Yes, kind of like a monk. They live mostly solitary lives. They give up all forms of material life, essentially. They give up home, family, any kind of attachment to material things. And they pursue only spiritual goals 
Okay. I sent you a link on Instagram. Check it out. So this is what a sadhu is. Okay. All right, guys. I'm opening my Instagram. Let's see. Clicking the link. Oh, okay. Yeah. All like right. Spiritual so being. Got it. No worldly attachments. It is really hard to describe like what they look like. Yeah. So they have like the beard, kind yeah. of for clothing. clothing, matted hair, beard. They're usually covered in ash. And yeah, the word is sadhu or sannyasi. Sannyasi is the word that I'll be using to describe him for the rest of the episode. Got it. So an ash-covered sannyasi appeared in Dhaka in 1920. He sat and meditated near the Buckland Bund, which was a well-developed promenade by the Bui Ganga River in Dhaka. So he found a nice spot by the promenade and he just meditated. And that was an odd sight because it's not something you would see every day. And so people were curious, like as the days went by, people would gather around him and curiously look at him and ask him questions like, who are you? Where'd you come from? And But he said nothing. He didn't reply to them. He would just sit there and meditate. All of a sudden, this rumor started going around and people would look at him and point and say, hey, doesn't this guy look like Mejo Kumar? Right? Like, he kind of resembles our old Mejo Kumar. Looks so familiar. So familiar. And this put into motion an avalanche of events that rode itself into Bengali pop culture and folk tales for generations to come. The crowds began to agree that this sannyasi resembled the deceased Ramendra Kumar of Bawal. After four months of silence, the sage spoke briefly with the people who would gather daily to ask him curious questions. So he would give them like one word answers and he'd be like, no, I'm not this guy. No, I'm from whatever. I'm from another part of India. I was, you know, touring the area and I've come here, blah, blah, blah. The people were not having it. They're like, no, you have to come with us. You look just like our Major Kumar and we're going to take you to the family so that they can take a look at you. And so they took him to the Bawal mansion in Jaidepur. On an elephant, no less. That's just how you do things in India. Now, the old mansion by that time, in 1920, was all but abandoned. I think just a couple of old members of the family lived there. Everyone else had moved out. All the sisters and their family had moved out. And, of course, there were caretakers like landscapers and such who lived there. The sannyasi decided to just live there on the estate. They had a guest house where they would house sannyasis like him who came yes. along because they don't have possessions right right so you would earn good karma if you help them out rich folks mm -hmm. always had like an enclosure where they would let them stay and feed them and blah 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 so this guy just started living in that guest house and in a couple days the nephew of major kumar came down to look at this guy Damn, he's he's back. Back. come and take a look so this guy comes over the nephew and he's not sure because he was five no, but he was five. Like when, like when this guy was around, like he has no idea. I love the idea that there was just somebody in the back of like the crowd looking at this guy meditating and was just like, "Hey, I bet it's the prince." And then like it just took off. Everyone was like, "Oh, that'd be crazy!" And so he takes the sannyasi to his mom's home. His mom was Jyotirmayi Rani, the princess Jyotirmayi. Once at her home, over the course of two days. Princess Jyotirmayi and other relatives minutely observed the sannyasi, his physical features, his mannerism, his voice, and they all started to see the resemblance, 
slowly but surely. You know, little things. Because you can't train people when it comes to... Like the head tilt you do or like, yeah. like But like how much of that was projection? Because when you're grieving for someone, you want someone to be back in your lives. You might see things that don't exist. It wasn't just one or two things, but like a whole mountain of indicators to them. Like the way he ate his food, the way he... Part of a book that I read said, you know, that the sister was noticing the way his Adam's apple moved. And I'm like, whoa, she must have really observed her brother. <laughs> Who knows that? Like, I don't even know. I, I couldn't tell you what my husband's Adam's apple looks like when he eats. Now I have different questions to be answered. Very close family. So when Jyotirmayi showed the sannyasi a picture of her brother, Ramendra Kumar, the guy just burst into tears. Tears are flowing down his cheeks. He's a sannyasi, okay? They're not supposed to have any kind of emotional reactions to anything. They're supposed to be totally neutral, not attached in any way. So she was like, why are you crying? You are a sannyasi. And he just says, I'm crying because of the maya that I feel. Maya is an emotional attachment or a materialistic attachment. And he says, Maya for whom? What attachment? And then he said, nothing. And so she asked him, are you my brother? You look so much like my brother. Are you Ramendra Kumar? He says, no, I am no one. I am nobody. And he runs away. So it sounds like he's in a bit of a conundrum with his own spiritual beliefs his past his future his identity his identity like who am i and the family seems to be convinced at this point but he's not accepting it he's not coming out and saying anything so they pursue him over the next couple of days they keep calling him over looking him over he would bathe in the river and come out and before he put ash on his body they would send people to observe his body and look for birthmarks just to kind of add another layer of confirmation. Pervs. Go get Sheila, who he banged for many years, who gave him syphilis. <laughs> she would know what this birthmark looks like. Go check it. That oh special God. birthmark, you know, under his butt. The one like right there? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. But also, if he had open sores from syphilis, wouldn't he have scars? Now, that claim was made by the doctor at that time. And the brother... Oh, so you're saying he might not have had syphilis. Got it. We don't know. This was the claim of the doctor and the brother-in-law and the wife at that time. Noted. Continue. So in the following days, news of the family's belief in the sannyasi being the Kumar spread like wildfire. Now, the people can believe whatever they want. But once they heard that the family was kind of convinced as well... That gave them like an added legitimacy, kind of lit the fire. Yeah. yeah, legitimacy. They're like, okay, if the family thinks it's him, it must be him. And so a crowd of almost 2,000 people gathered at the mansion where he was staying. They called him out. They confronted him and they're pleading with him like, please reveal your identity. Tell us who you are. Tell us that you're the Prince of Bawa. But hasn't he been saying who he is this whole time? Like, hasn't he been like, I'm not him. I'm Joe Schmo from this other place. Like, he has, but that's not good enough for these guys. Oh, my gosh. Say what we want you to say. (laughs) Yeah, but if he says that and then like five years from now they find out he's not, then they're going to like want him dead. Like, 
my gosh, this poor guy. There are so many layers to this story. I will explain in a little bit, but it'll kind of help you understand what was going on at that time. Now, after much furor, the silent sage finally spoke. He said, yes, I am Ramendra Narayan Roy of Bhaval. And he told the people how he had been slowly poisoned by his wife, Biba Bhoti, and her brother with the help of the doctor, Dr. Das Gupta, with whom she had allegedly been having an affair for a while. I don't care. She's sleeping with the doc like you're sleeping with half the town. Fair is fair. Fair is fair, yeah. I mean, don't poison him, but like if one is sleeping around, the other gets to sleep around in this arranged marriage that neither seemed to have had really a choice of. So. Yeah. Hall pass. <laughs> so when he had apparently died in Darjeeling at that time and taken to the cremation ground, an intense hailstorm had come crashing down, which had left the funeral party running for shelter. And after whatever how many hours that they came back out, apparently the body was gone. Hmm. What he says is that when the rain hit his face as he was laying on the pyre, Ramendra had revived, perhaps from a deep state of unconsciousness. Mm-hmm. And a Naga Sadhu, or another sannyasi, who was wandering in the cremation ground at that time, saw him move and picked him up. He took him with him and healed him slowly over the years. Unfortunately, because of this trauma, Ramendra had lost his memory completely and had wandered with his savior as a sadhu himself for over a decade. Oh my gosh, I'm pretty sure this is like a whole storyline on Days of Our Lives. Like this is like a straight up soap opera where it's like, oh, you know, we want to bring Stefano back, <laughs> but he died 10 years ago. He wasn't actually dead. Let's retcon it. Like he was washed away in the river and a fisherman caught him out and he lost his memory. Lost so his he memory. lived as a farmhand. So it was him. It was like... That's what he says. Katie, yeah, you need popcorn for this, right? I do need popcorn for this. Also because it's almost lunchtime for me and I am so hungry. Then this time as he was passing through Dhaka with his guru, memories started coming back to him. And so he decided to sit there and meditate for four months or whatever that he was to see if something comes back. And slowly but surely, all his memories came back. Now, the crowd went ballistic when they heard this, when they heard the scandalous tale, and they demanded that their beloved Major Kumar be reinstated to the former glory. Understandably, the wife of Kumar, Bibati Devi, she refused to even entertain such a charade, and she didn't come out to Dhaka to see him at all. Now, a tribunal was set up in public, headed by the local governing bodies of the estate. Almost 10,000 people attended that tribunal where they declared this sannyasi as the Kumar of Bhaval. Even though in public you may have accepted him and declared him as such, court of wards is not going to just accept you. Uh, We're not giving up this $3 million a year revenue just because some guy claims he's the dead guy. They wanted a legal case to be lodged for him to prove his identity. Tenants of the estate who believed in him started supporting him financially. For a little context, this was during the time when the independence movement in India was taking a strong shape and there was a huge resistance to every aspect of the British rule. This was a ripe opportunity for the people of Dhaka to once again defy the Brits by rejecting their claim over the Bhavalek state and demanding that their own 
Dhaka prince be rightfully reinstated. This mm-hmm. is like a small act of independence in the making. So that was the layer of complexity that I was talking about earlier. Whether everyone actually believed he was the Kumar or not, they certainly wanted one. They're like, I don't care if he's actually not. We're going to say he is because fuck the British. Here's my issue. Yeah. yeah. If they're going to say that, that this is him, is the wife mm-hmm. going to be charged with anything? Because you can't actually prove it. And if she gets charged, I'm going to be kind of mad. She was never charged with the crime. There was no Good. criminal case that I found Good. against her, her brother and the doctor because it was hearsay. I don't know if there's any other proof Good. that he could show that, oh, they tried to poison me and kill me. Well, it's also, you can't, like, there wasn't DNA testing back then. Right. It's been 11 years. You'd be surprised how much someone can change in that amount of time. This idea that he is 11 years older and everyone's like, oh, my God, it's definitely him. It's like, no, uh, that could just be somebody who kind of looks like him. Okay. So on that thought, I'm going to send you a picture. Oh, my gosh. I love it. Photos. So interactive. Who am I getting a picture of? So this is a side-by-side. All right, let me look at this. Of the sannyasi and the prince. So the left is the sannyasi. Not when he arrived, but a decade later. And the right is the prince just before he died. So there's a gap of 20 years in those pictures. You're saying this is 20 years between these two photos? Uh Uh-uh. No? No, it's a kid. It's not a kid, but it's like, it's got to be like, Either, either the original father, the one who had the three sons, either he had a love mm-hmm. child or one of the, like, or this son had a love child. I mean, I could definitely say that they're related. Sure, mm. sure, sure, sure. But. No. Mm-hmm. How about this next picture? Look at the next picture. Okay, so this is the prince one. before he died. And then behind him is the sannyasi when he appeared. Wait, what's the first picture then? So the second one is the cover of a book which shows the prince just before he died, like when he's still young, 23, Mm -hmm. 24. And behind him is the picture of the sannyasi when he appeared in Dhaka. So he still has his beard and matted hair and everything. How do they look? So that was just 11 years later. No. I mean, yeah, like they look similar. Look at the lips. Look at the nose. It's not definitive. Yeah, okay. I have a very common face. I'm not ashamed to say that. There are photos of me as a child, and a child, I mean, like, in high school. And another girl, her name is Emily, her own mother used to confuse us in photos because we look so incredibly similar. But we are 0% related. We have different backgrounds and ethnicities. Like, we are 100% different people. But, like... There is a track photo of the two of us standing next to each other about to run a race. And like, if I didn't know what my track number was, I would be confused about which one of us (laughs) is who. So like, no, the likelihood that somebody just looks like him when both him and I'm sure his father were banging around, like, I want a DNA test. Stepbrother. That is an avenue I didn't even... Explore. It might well have been. That would still give him claim to the estate. So that's fine. That is fine. I'm just saying, don't go trying some woman when you don't know for sure if that's what happened. For years after this initial appearance of the sannyasi and this whole acceptance that, yep, I'm that guy and I was killed and blah, blah, blah. He was supported by his tenants 
and he cleaned up and started living as a normal citizen. He filed a legal claim to be reinstated as the Zamindar of Bhawal in place of the Court of Wards. Now, this court case lodged in 1930, so it still took almost a decade to lodge the case, but it ran from 1930 for many, many years. The initial case ran for maybe three years. There were hundreds of witnesses on both sides, so the Court of Wards and Biba Bhati. Okay, she was also a defendant in, in the case. Yeah, because her reputation's at stake. She refuted the sannyasi's claim of being Ramendra and called him an imposter out to steal her dead husband's inheritance. The court of wards tried to find as many witnesses as they could to state that there had been a cremation of the Kumar and that he had syphilis, that the sannyasi was originally from Punjab, he had some other name and a previous life. They pointed out that he didn't speak Bengali nor English well and he could barely read and write. The sannyasi supporters, including his sisters and friends, stated that the Kumar had always had trouble with academic skills. Today, we might call it dyslexia. Mm, But people with dyslexia don't have problems speaking. His dubious language skills were attributed to his memory loss. Mm -hmm. That happens. That does happen. Mm -hmm. Birthmarks that were known of were presented as evidence of identity. The Kumar's broken tooth was there. His old hunting scars were there. He had the same hereditary familial skin condition on his feet and legs that the Kumar had. Expert witnesses were put forward by the claimant and the defendant to declare conflicting theories as testimony. Yeah, as you would, yeah. Photographers analyzed superimposed pictures of the Kumar and the sannyasi to compare facial features. Oh my god, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that to a picture. I'm gonna find a picture of me from like yeah. eleven years ago and superimpose my face and then we'll yeah, I'll be like, oh okay, yeah, you can do that. Like oh my I gosh. believe that's actually a, a forensic technique that is used to determine identity today in modern times. So they weren't too what? far off. However, it's just data and you can pose data to prove yeah, whatever you want. So both sides. I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to take a picture of you and superimpose my face over <laughs> you or you over me. And it'll be like, oh, look, the outlines of our face are relatively same, the same. Yeah, we're the same person. Oh it was so chaotic. It was a total mess because so much money was involved. Both sides spent a shit ton of money to find these experts to say whatever they wanted to say. The court of wards, they alleged that the imposter was trained and put forward as a puppet by the Kumar's sister, Jyotirmai Devi. Mm. Pamphlets were printed by both sides and distributed in the public. Posters put up everywhere. He's innocent. He's not innocent. Blah, blah, blah. And it fueled a raging rivalry in the public arena, which turned deadly when a non-believer in the Kumar's return was actually stabbed to death. So it did get a little little out of hand. You think that it just kind of all happened in one instance and blew up and then it was over, but it wasn't just a flash in the pan. Nope. The courts initially found in the Kumar's favor. They agreed. Okay, you are the bubble prince. Fine. The decision was appealed and furiously reappealed by the Court of Wards and Biba Bhutti. Now, Court of Wards can just fuck right off because I, if, if looking at the photos, like they were probably related, at which point he was probably still the rightful mm-hmm. heir. But I understand the wife. 
And this court case ran for 15 years, the appeals process, basically. The final appeal was sent to the Privy Court, uh, which was the highest court of the British Empire. And with World War II looming over their heads at that time, the courts were slow to respond. And obviously, this was way low in priority for them, which is why it took so long. After much deliberation and having come to a stalemate on all evidence and witnesses, the final verdict boiled down to just one question in the Privy Court. Did it rain in Darjeeling on May 9th, 1909? Not only just rain, did it hail? Research said that, yes, there was a hailstorm on that day in Darjeeling. And so things look pretty bright for the legal case. Okay, but on average, how often are there hailstorms in that area in that month? Is it a common occurrence? I think the northeast of India sees a lot of rain. It's not uncommon. Uh, okay, it's not uncommon. so it's like they normally see... Um, uh-huh. I don't think you say you see hailstorms that often, but you do see rain yeah. a lot. Okay. Things look pretty bright for the legal case of Kumar Brahmendranarayan Roy of Bhaval. And he was so close to being officially and undeniably reinstated as the zamindar of his estate. That very night in July 1946, Major Kumar offered his prayers to Kalima at a temple and he suffered from a stroke. Two days later, he died. What day in July? 30th of July. <gasps> That's today. That's Is it today? today? It's also my birthday. Also your birthday. Oh my God. This is all synchronicity, Katie. I didn't plan this this way. We were supposed to do this yesterday. Yes, creepy. It's the spirit of the bubble prince. He wanted his story told on air again. And so he obliged. On the day the verdict was about to come in, he suffered a stroke and he died two days later, never really sitting on his throne officially as a prince again. This time, his body was taken to the Keortala Crematorium in Kaligat, Calcutta, and his funeral pyre was set alight. Hundreds of witnesses were there. <laughs> For real this time. Yeah, they were standing right there till there was nothing left but ashes. Interesting. Well, now I have a new birthday fact. <laughs> Happy birthday. It's like, thanks, it's my birthday. It's also Arnold Schwarzenegger's birthday. It's also National Cheesecake Day. It's also the day this prince in India died. For the second and last time. For the second time. Drama. I'll send you a podcast episode. It'll tell you all about it. I swear, I'm so, I'm so creeped out right now. Like, I, I really didn't think about all this. I typed this up. I can't believe you didn't think about that. You just like, you weren't saying the actual date. I was like, oh, it's July right now. Like, July what? <laughs> Crazy. I have a problem with dates. I just, I can't remember them correct. I don't, it's some kind of specific dyslexia associated with dates. Yeah. And so even if it's today's date, it'll never hit me that, oh, that is today or it was yesterday. This whole work from home thing, I love working from home, but this whole work from home thing is like, I never know what day it is. And fun fact, the first uh, happy birthday I received was actually from my scale, which <laughs> thought my birthday was yesterday because I have a smart scale and I stepped on it and it was like, before we tell you your weight, happy birthday. happy birthday. And I was like, wait, is it my birthday? So I thought yesterday was my birthday uh -oh. for like a solid hour and a half before oh, no. I realized, oh, 
It's not my birthday. What a liar. What, what a goddamn liar. Never trust these damn machines. Robots. As Arnold will tell you. Robot. Terminator. Right? That's how we do it. <laughs> oh, um, so what did you think? I want to hear your theory about this. I think it was a long lost brother. Okay. The dad was banging people too. Because everyone knows that people with that much money from those eras, they always did bang people. Absolutely. Of course. You ha- you know, you had to raise the morale of the peasants. <laughs> you had to earn that money somehow. Free love. I think it was a long lost brother. Yeah. But do you think he came up with this all by himself? No. I think he really was like, no, I'm not this guy. And then people kept telling him he was. I think he was kind of gaslit. Maybe I am this guy. <laughs> oh, no. I am this guy. Yes. Oh, man. The wife. It's good that she was never charged with anything because that would be really painful and awful. She's like, I already had a husband who was cheating on me when I was like 19. And he died from syphilis from cheating on me. And now everyone's accusing me of having like faked his death. Yeah. Uh, first of all. If the whole system runs off of like offspring mm-hmm. and like the like having a like an heir and this guy was like a jolly good guy, like he's got to have some kids. Yeah. Like, well, no, not only does he have some kids, but like, why kill him? Mm. You know, it's not like he was like awful to her or like there were reports of him like beating her all the time to make her want to be like, ah, I'm going to kill him. Like, you know, it sounds like they had a pretty good setup. So why would she want to kill him? You know? Yeah, why would you want to kill him? If he was kind of sick anyway, he would have died. Like, it was just a matter of time. They seem to have just been fine. So, like, if she was going to kill him, she probably would have wanted to pop out a baby first to stake her, like, claim to the whole estate instead of just peacing out. So I don't think she had anything to do with it. All right. That's, that could totally be the truth. It's probably wrong, but this is my theory. But that was also make this sannyasi like probably the shittiest sannyasi of all time. Like how mentally weak was he that he just got convinced? Like, uh, I am that guy. Okay, yeah, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am Major Kumar. Well, he clearly had like he didn't really remember his childhood anyway. Yeah, he didn't. Or or brainwashing. Or MK Ultra. No. Or they were like, hey, look, we know you're not him, right? But, but who? The British who is suck. saying this to him? Uh, the sister? I think maybe the siblings. Yeah, I think maybe the sisters. I think either the sisters or the people who work the land, the like rebellion movement was up and rising. I think they were like, look, yeah, mm-hmm. even if you're not, we can train you and fuck the British. He was like, you know what? I'll do it. I am here to serve. I am here to help you. I will do it. Because you know what really stood out to me? Yeah. You talked about how he like, you know, started living, like wanted to like rule again, started like getting income and whatnot. Yet in his later years, he wasn't doing any of his like super boisterous, yo ladies, what's Mm -hmm. up behavior. And that is not something that you just get rid of. Right. So. I believe the latter half of your theory. I believe it was some kind of a rebellion that key players in that independence movement in Bengal at that time thought up and strategized and kind of used the goodwill and the belief of the people to bring into fruition. This was a huge estate, right? One of the wealthiest in the region. And if the Brits are land grabbing and usurping all of that revenue, that is a huge 
cog in the entire East India Company machinery in India. And if you can take that away from them, that will weaken the rule yeah. in India. And so they came up with this idea to do it the legal way. Because once enough people say, hey, we believe it's him. Legally, it's the best way to screw people over. <laughs> Here's the funny thing. When they did finally accept it was him, it was 1946. It was 15 years later. The next year is when India got independence from the British. I was going to say, like, when did the Brits leave India? <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. I mean, it was it was a thorn in their side. It was a big inconvenience, inconvenience to the yeah. Brits. And that, I think they kind of did their part in the form of a legal rebellion. That's hilarious. I, 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 that's what I believe. My favorite episode of Star Trek The Next Generation mm -hmm is when Picard pulls a, like, legal dick move, and it's hilarious. Oh, man. Her rules, Article yeah, 4, yeah. Section 87. <laughs> it's like this whole, like, it's like how he saves the day is by reading a contract. <laughs> it's just, like, my favorite episode. It's so good. What saves the day? Minutia. That's what saves the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so we're going to do a really quick Bollywood corner. Ooh. And the first movie is called... Ek Jachilo Raja, which is a Bengali movie. It's a movie made on this story. There have been others made in the past, like Ooh. in the uh, early 60s and stuff. But this one is a more recent movie made a couple years ago. It's called Ek Jachilo Raja. However, it is not free to watch. I couldn't find any website to watch it for free in the US. Uh, it is on Apple TV for $4. Okay. So if you ever feel compelled enough, you're oh, bored on a weekend. movie. Yeah, you're bored and you're like, I want to watch this story of deception and uh, so you can go watch that and it might be free in india on z movies but i'm not sure because i i can't check it the second movie i want to recommend is based on the perception of deception so it's called okay. agontuk it is also a bengali bengali movie and the word agontuk means the stranger it is a 1991 film written and directed by the great sotojit rai Shatujit Rai was an exemplary filmmaker of his time and his movies are rated some of the best in the world, even oh, nice. today. We need to do like a, like an episode that takes some of your Bollywood recommendations and does like... Mm -hmm. And watches it. Mystery Science 3000 and just like watch it with commentary. Yes, we should do that, like a watch party. Totally. This movie, <laughs> um, so... The story revolves around a family in Calcutta and how the arrival of a long lost and forgotten relative brings a fair amount of joy and turmoil into their lives. So this guy calls up uh, the female lead in the story and he says, I'm your, you know, blah, 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 XYZ uncle who you haven't seen for 35 years. I'm coming to India and I want to meet you. The woman and her husband are like, I don't remember this guy. I'm sure there was some relative like this, but we don't know if it's him. No one's seen him for 35 years. And so he comes over and they're kind of so confused about whether to believe this guy or not. And he's a jolly fellow. He gives them no reason to distrust him. But it's just human nature to be suspicious and cautious and wary of someone who just comes in. And that's the theme in the movie. Trust and forging relationships with strangers. Something we're conditioned never to do. Right? We're conditioned. Oh, man. I'm so uh -uh. bad about that. Yeah, stranger danger. I make friends everywhere. I'm that person that, like, goes in an airport and suddenly has a new coffee friend. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, tell me about your trip. Where are you going? Like, what's going on? He should have come to your home, Katie. It's pretty ridiculous how often I'll, like, 
be somewhere and I'll go in the bathroom and I'll come out and be like, this is my new friend. <laughs> like, We're best friends. We just met. <laughs> like, We're best friends. We're going to hang out all the time. We never hang out, but like, it's fine. So this movie is a study in human emotions and relationships of that sort. And I highly recommend it. It's a beautiful movie, short and sweet. And the ending, it is concrete. It's not an ambiguous ending. So, you, you know, people might enjoy that part as well. I don't want to give it away. Yeah, don't give it away. Um, so, yeah, Agontuk, take a look. Again, it may not be free to watch everywhere. It is available on HBO if you have HBO in the U.S. Oh, I do. Yeah, it is on HBO. You can watch it there. And that's it for Bollywood Corner. I hope you enjoyed Ooh, this episode. Yes, I'm hey, I know it wasn't like serial killer territory, but there was enough. No, but it is interesting. Mm. I was waiting. I was like, oh, man, I'm waiting for this to drop. <laughs> who, who becomes the bad guy? Like, I was ready. It was very soap opera also. Like, I'm fairly certain many soap operas have used this as inspiration. Right. Cause yeah, because like, this is... 1909 and you know the story was very popular in bengal like moms told their kids these stories and it was so popular so i'm pretty sure it was the inspiration for tons of short stories and has to be tv shows and yeah yeah. (laughs) this is soap operas of the 1900s i love it all right um and that kind of brings us to the end of the episode katie you want to quickly tell the listeners about your instagram channel maybe Oh, uh, sure. So you can follow me on Instagram. It's at Kate and Keto. So K-A-I-T-A-N-D-K-E-T-O. So do you post keto recipes and stuff on your I do. I post uh, low-carb kind of alternatives Mm -hmm. for long-term low-carb living. Um, I'm not one of those people that are like, oh, if you have any fruit, you are awful. It's mostly like sustainable moderation. Yeah, it's like sustainable, low carb uh, Mexican and Filipino food mostly. Mm. So um, yeah, mm. we make a lot of Filipino food. Flavor, flavor. Because my husband's Filipino. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if Ritika, your sister, has ever told you, but like I was accused of appropriation at a party once. What? Because I we brought a Filipino dish. And my husband like stepped away to go do something. And um, yeah, it was just me standing there stirring it. And I am not Filipino. Right. And uh, one of the guests there who didn't know us, had never met us, she saw me stirring the dinaguan and like talking about it to someone. And she was like, I get so annoyed when people just appropriate my culture. And I was no. like, what? Like, Oh my god! She was just start like telling the person standing next to her about how like it's so annoying that I'm cooking this thing I probably have no knowledge of. The best part was when my husband came back and was like, "Oh, thanks, honey, for stirring," and then like took over cooking it. I just like looked at him and looked at her and was just like, "Hello, "Hmm." ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Come at me." What? And she didn't apologize or anything. She was probably embarrassed. It's true. I was just like, "What just happened?" Also, how is cooking a dish appropriation for God's sake? You're appreciating right? a culture, not appropriating it. It's not a, it's not a costume. Have you ever had dinaguan? No, I haven't. Okay, dinaguan is delicious. Mm-hmm. One, it is delicious. What kind of dish is it? Like meat, dessert, what is it? Yeah, it's like a meaty dish. It's me- <laughs> So this is why I think she got, probably got offended slash yeah. annoyed. Uh, it was a Game of Thrones party. So my husband and I went as like Dothraki mm. and we brought dinaguan because dinaguan is a blood dish. It's made out of uh, pork blood. Like we kept making jokes about, oh, it's like, you know, made from the blood of our enemies, like whatever. 
Oh, that's what pissed her off. Yeah, she was like, she doesn't even know what she's talking mm. about. And I was like, it was a joke right. that my husband came up with. Like, <laughs> but okay. Oh, the times we live in. Yeah, I was just like, well, that's fine, I guess. So do you have Deneguan on your Insta? I wanna, I'm going to go take a look if you do. We do. We have Deneguan on our Instagram and on our uh, website. I think we might have it on our YouTube channel, but I love it. It's one of my favorite dishes. I love Deneguan. Like, I love it so much. Mm-hmm. It is on theme with what we normally talk about. Yeah, so like, perfect. Yeah. It's a perfect dish for a true crime podcast. Delicious. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that, Katie. I'm going to go look for Deneguan right away. To everyone else, I say take care. I hope you guys have a great week ahead. And don't forget to check out Crimes from the East on Instagram as well. Like and share our posts and tell your friends about the podcast. You know, maybe they need a little mystery and intrigue and um, Mm. tales of murder in their life. You never know. Just share share it. Wild theories about murders that happened a long time ago. Yeah, Yeah, speculation is the spice of life. So... (laughs) Send this podcast to everyone you know. And join us again next week for another dose of Crimes from the East with a little masala and spice.